Hey there, Anna fam. Uh, just hopping in ahead of the episode to let you know that the discussion for this episode uh, veers into some pretty intense content warnings. So just as a heads up, we will be discussing suicide and suicidality, uh, sexual assault, including corrective rape, transphobia, misogyny, uh, self-harm, fat phobia, uh, and predatory men and rape apologia. So please, please take care of yourselves. If you're not up to listening to this now or ever, that's okay. Take care of yourself. Hey, so how do you like your eggs? Well, so I actually can't eat eggs, but I do like that uh, that sunny side up egg and the frying pan emoji. I, uh, I've been really enjoying poached eggs on toast recently. I like them to be full of complex metaphors about trauma that eventually careen into a ditch and implode. Oh, wow. How do you cook that? We promised you a podcast, listeners at home, or readers of the transcript, and damn our eyes, this is the Wonder Egg Priority Postmortem, a phrase we haven't used since Darling in the Franks oh, came no. out. The folks that are on the cast today, there is uh, me, I'm Fry Kaiser, I am the managing content editor and contributor at Anime Feminist. Uh, you can find my freelance work on Twitter at WriterVry, or you can find the podcast where I co-host studies of, tra- of trashy media at TrashPod. And uh, what's cracking, <laughs> everyone? Um, my name is Mercedes, and I am a contributor... Well, I'm soon to be contributing writer. I have a lot of feelings about Super Cub. Um, And I'm also an editor here at Anime Feminist, as well as a freelance journalist for Anime News Network. And all around cool person. True. That is very true. You can find me on Twitter at Pixelated Lenses, where you can come and harass me about all of the hot takes I'm going to drop in this episode. Come at me, bro. Don't don't do that. Be nice to Mercedes. She's the nice person on staff. And like anyone can access my DMs. So come on in. Ruin my day. Oh, I'll find back. No, no. Look, I'll I'll poach you. I'll fry you up. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do it. I swear. Uh, and I am Alex. I am also a contributions editor here at Anifem, and in my other life, I am a PhD candidate, getting to the tail end of the thesis, uh, about young adult fiction. Uh, so you can find me tweeting about a hilarious mix of academia and books and anime at The Aficionado. I'm going to do my level best to steer this podcast so it is not just about the finale that we are only a couple days out from and feeling very raw about. <laughs> And by, yeah, I, by by a couple days, you mean like the finale aired <laughs> June June thirtieth. <laughs> like we are a day away. <laughs> yeah, the, the regrets are fresh. The egg, um, egg is but freshly I, cooked. I do want to acknowledge briefly it existing uh, and ask the two of you what before it aired did you expect or kind of hope for from that extra episode when it was announced. So I'll I'll go on and say like I expected um, a finale. <laughs> I didn't expect a sequel hook, 
Um, I expected to see Mr. Sasaki get the punishment he deserves. I expected to find out um, about what Dot Hyphen and the one schoolgirl bug girl with the really long name, what their deal is. Um, and spoiler, didn't get any of that. I don't know what I expected. It feels quite surreal to be at this point, honestly, because I feel like we... That's, you know, we as in the Anifem team, but also we as in, like, kind of broader community conversation about this, have been having this discussion for, like, six months of our lives now, going, well, look, we'll just have to see how it ends. We'll just have to see if it sticks a landing in the finale. And now here we are at the finale, and it kind of doesn't feel real. It feels... Um... It, and it's, <laughs> it's, it's weird, too, because, like, I wasn't expecting a double-length finale. And I, I should say, like... And we didn't get one. <laughs> yeah, and I should say transparency. Like, I have been reviewing this episode by episode, week by week, on the website, but why, though? So, like... I, you know, I, I have a very clear memory of each episode because I had to watch them multiple times for my reviews. And so when I saw it was a double length episode, I, you know, my typing fingers got real eager. <laughs> and then I was like, the audacity to do a second recap episode. And then, yeah. and then I, like, as if, as if in my wildest dreams, Wonder Egg priority isn't there, like a shadow <laughs> As if we could have forgotten any of this. <laughs> I mean, like, how am I going to forget a show that messily talks about the trauma of young AFAB teams? Like, I'm not, because I've wanted a show like that. I'm not going to forget it. And as messy as it was, you know, like, I was really hype. And then you get to the finale, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I should say, you should never end a finale and your first thought be, dang, I'm glad I didn't pay for that. That was my first thought. I was like, you know what? I pay for Funimi Fun uh, Funimation Premium because support the industry. But I was like, dang, I'm glad I didn't pay for Wonder Egg. And that's not a good feeling to have. Oh, my goodness. No. Yeah, I, I feel like I maybe thought that we would have, certainly that there was no way even an hour-long finale, which I just expected it to be regular length, but even an hour-long finale wasn't going to be able to wrap up all the loose ends that it introduced at the finish line for some reason. But I guess I'd kind of hoped that I would have some kind of confrontation with Frill and that we would have some closure there and that maybe, you know, it would be about all the girls rallying together and going forward on their graduation. Yeah, I also didn't expect the finale to look like poop. And I'm sorry for saying that. I know, I know multiple members of this team at least one was hospitalized it looks bad and it looks bad because it was still rushed and i think yeah. i think i think like you can't i think that's also what soured the finale is like you cannot untangle it from the fact that this was made under crunch that like yeah. people were harmed in making this finale people were harmed in making previous episodes you can't untangle that but like it looks like poop yeah, so I think for those who were not following this series very closely, uh, who maybe watched it but weren't in like the Sakuga or Anna Twitter bubble that was like really following it closely and all the production details and stuff, uh, I want to give a couple of basic rundown things of the disaster that was Weg. So uh, this was a show directed 
or created mostly by some very talented newcomers. The director is Wakabayashi Shin, who is mainly has mainly been a key animator in the past, which I've I have personally found that when key animators step into series directors' roles for the first time, a lot of times the show will look real good and maybe get a little lost on the plot element. And the strength of the staff around them tends to see how well that irons out on the whole. Uh, so the series composer was Nojimi Shinji, who is new to anime, but had previously done a lot of work in live dramas. And a lot of the animators are also these extremely talented young people who are really eager and passionate about this anime original project, don't have a lot of other stuff on their resume necessarily. And this show sent a very dangerous precedent, in fact. Uh, I'm very uh, afraid to see what happens from here, because as we know, the industry has been heading towards a crash for a long time now, I think, with the, the state of conditions. Animators get focused on a lot, but it's really everyone in the industry, except for maybe possibly the very, very top people, and even them, they have a rough, raw deal. But yeah. Wonder yeah. Egg employed a lot of overseas animators via Twitter networking. And that's a new door that I can see future productions just leaping on and using and abusing <laughs> boy howdy so the series was notable for the first half of its run in fact most of its run for almost filmic quality animation it is a gorgeous looking show for most of it but it just couldn't hold you know even though the show had fairly careful production planning for almost two years uh before it entered b before it it got going for uh airing production the pandemic happened and that's not their fault but this team of newcomers seemingly had no way of knowing how to work on their feet and curtail their plans which became the snowball effect of crunch and worker abuse and i think kind of abusing that passion in particular until it imploded with this final episode that Allegedly, according to a comment on uh, Bilibili, which is where a lot of uh, animators talk about uh, their work on various shows, this show was doing was going into second key animation five days before air, and oh, it looks bad. It 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 because I I will say like this show at times is breathtakingly beautiful. Um, it it reminded me. And, like, I've only seen GIFs and, like, clips. It reminded me a lot of Perfect Blue and, like, Paprika in some scenes with how it feels incredibly filmic. And it feels... it. There are tracking shots. There are these gorgeous, big, you know, dynamic angle shots. And this finale? Oofa-doofa. Mm. It's Oofa stiff. Doofa. There's compositing issues. There's not really a lot of striking storyboarding in a show that's known for it. Nehru is the most glaring one, ironically, is Nehru looks so off-model <laughs> that I was like, did they introduce a new character? Oh, no. oh it's my girl Nehru. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, Nehru. Yeah, I wanted to... So I wanted to kind of just talk about the girls 
and their character arcs as sort of a mix before we get into like the theme things. Uh, did we want to start with Nehru? Because I feel like, boy, this show did her dirty. Yeah. I, I think I think we should because I think Nehru is one of the show's most fascinating characters. I would say she, well, all the girls really are, right? All of the girls are. But I love Nehru, these girls. Nehru is unique in, and we talked about this before we started recording. Nehru to me is unique in being the significantly darker skinned character. She's also the character who has the most mysterious, fantastical backstory. She literally was created, not in the sense of like, you know, we're all created because we're a collection of genes. She was scientifically engineered and grown, which kind of sets her apart in a lot of unique ways, but it also creates a lot of problems. Mm. Like it, like an othering. Like there couldn't yeah. just be a a brown skinned Japanese person who was born from parents, right? And and you have the fact that like she's Japanese, but it's brought up quite a few times that like she doesn't look all the way Japanese. She's clearly of different heritage, which is not a problem because like spoiler alert, fans of fictional Japan, <laughs> there are people who are of multiple heritages in Japan, who are Japanese, Nehru included, and, you know, there's real-life people. But that gets brought up a lot. And and so you have this instant othering with Nehru, and the show never really tackles it in a good way, and I would argue it kind of deteriorates the further it goes along. Mm. And and I, I don't, y'all, I don't know how to feel about it. I have big, complex feelings about it, and I'm sure the crowd who came after me for Nagatoro is going to come after me again for this. But I God. don't like it when the dark-skinned Japanese character is the weird one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Because that happens in real life in Japan. If you are a dark-skinned person in Japan, even if you are a Japanese national and both of your parents are of Japanese heritage, you get singled out. And I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it at all. Especially in, like, it's never okay, but it's especially glaring in a show that is purporting to be about social oppression that hurts teen girls. Yeah. It, and it, and I, I know, I know we're avoiding getting too into the finale. Oh, no, we can I, talk about the fact that she's a fucking robot. Yeah. Not a robot. She's an AI. So I, there's this thing that already happens to Asian, specifically Far East Asian, specifically Japanese girls in fiction and sci-fi, right? Where like, there has to be some quirk to them. Either you're in a schoolgirl uniform and you're like 42, or like you have some sort of like magic or fantasy element. You can never just be like a Japanese woman in a lot of media. Mm. And I and I mean I am saying this from the perspective of a black person, and I'm I'm saying it from the perspective of like the magical Negro trope, um, and just kind of how that you know crosses over into different ethnic groups. But then you have Nehru, who literally cannot be human. Like it, the one dark skinned girl in this show. It doesn't even get humanity. And like, I had to sit with that yesterday because it happens a lot. But in this show, like, what does that mean? It's like Tyra Banks, the, we were cheering for you. Like, I was hoping that Nehru would get, you know, after she had to euthanize her friend, um, that she would get, you know, something. And like, 
no, it turns out Nehru isn't even really who we think she is because you can't be brown and be a real fully formed human. <laughs> it sucks. It's... Sucks. And after they drop that little piece of backstory at literally the last 10 minutes, we never see Nehru. I mean, we have a, a tiny, there's the, that tiny little scene of her and Frill sharing a body, which I, 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 thought that was potentially kind of nice. I would have really yeah. liked a story where Nehru and Frill were foils of one another and right. had conversations, but it's nothing. We we don't see Nehru coming to terms yeah. with this or making that decision. It's nothing. And it, and it's quite and that in itself is quite fraught, right? And I'm I'm sure someone out there is going to listen to this and be like Mercedes, you're reading way too deep, but I don't care. I'm a feminist. I'll fight That's them. What I do. I'll fight them for it's you. It's very fraught to me that Nehru, the explicitly darker skin character, shares a body with a character that is close to what people assume. And I'm I'm going to use this term, Japanese whiteness. She is sharing a body with a character that is close to what people might perceive as a good mix of Japanese and whiteness frill has hair that typically a japanese person would not have frill's hair is auburn kind of red and frill's features could be perceived as frill being like created in the image of a mixed heritage japanese girl and i find it really troublesome that nehru of all the characters who was created in a test tube essentially shares a body with the character that is furthest in appearance from which that literally is a polar opposite of her. Yeah. And like, we don't have enough time to get into that. Maybe I'll write something about that, but I do, I found it really unsettling and I was like, Oh, I don't like this. I, I don't like this. And it's sad because Nehru is a really good character. She's a really powerful character. And like, they just didn't, I think they didn't know how to handle what they wanted to do with her. There's, there's like something that happened that I come back to a lot when I'm writing. And I, I think I kind of put my finger on it a couple years ago when I was writing about Doki Doki Literature Club. But a lot of shows and media in general, when they're written about marginalized experiences by people who are not marginalized in particular, but or like even just not of that marginalized group where they have good intentions, but they never assume that the people they're writing about might be in their audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's, and it's, and I, I will say like the interesting thing about WEG wonder egg priority is that like, wait, did I just call it? Yeah. WEG. Yeah. Yeah. WEG. Um, we all call it WEG. Is that like, I don't really actually know who the demographic for this show is, but it does feel like a saying, and it reminds me a lot of Monica, and and that's very fraught in and of itself. It, But, like, I'm not saying that, like, cis men can't write about young women. Absolutely. I actually think they should. I think that they should understand the horror of being a teenage girl. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce that word. I hope no one, please don't, I hope no one out there misunderstood. I said horror, I have trouble pronouncing it. I didn't, I didn't imply that. (laughs) But like, I think they should understand the terror that exists when you turn 13 and until you become a legal adult in your society. This is the part where I make my token gesturing at Ikuhara and we move on. Well, actually, can I like, that's, you'll forgive me for a short segue that raises a really interesting point because i was kind of sitting with the finale thinking i'm like at some point in the trajectory of the show it felt like the vibe changed 
and I was trying to put my finger on why, and I think it has something to do with, like, there is a very marked difference that is not always obvious, but can become very uncomfortably obvious between shows that are about teenagers and particularly teenage girls and shows that are for teenage girls. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, if we look in, for example, like in the world of novels, you know, something like uh, The Lovely Bones is about a teenage girl who also has terrible things happen to her. Um, but it's not marketed as young adults. It's not marketed as children's fiction. It's marketed to adults and it's thus written in a different way and kind of deals with adolescence in a different way, in a more kind of like right. detached way. Um, and of course, you know, there's, there's a complicated argument to be had about how teen media, relatively speaking, isn't written by teens. So there's this complicated idea of, you know, the adult gaze and the hidden adult. But children's lit scholars have been arguing about that for 50 years, and that's not our business today. But it makes me think of, for example, something like uh, A Place Further Than the Universe, which is another short anime series. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, you know, they're very different genres, but they are both about female adolescence and relationships and all that sort of stuff. But Universe, to me, felt much more like it was trying to speak to a teenage audience as opposed to, like, looking at teenage girlhood from afar as kind of, like, an interesting philosophical content. Um, And so, you know, it felt much more like it was trying to be relatable, trying to speak with an authentic voice, trying to, like, yeah, assume that maybe teenage girls will be in the audience and sort of speak to them. Whereas Wonder Egg, particularly at the end, it had it had its moments. It had a lot of moments where I was like, oh yeah, this really resonates. You know, I'm not a teenage girl right now, obviously, but I was one for a while. Um, I was like, oh yeah, this this speaks to that experience. And I think if a teenage girl was watching this, she would feel seen and she would feel like she was being listened to. But especially towards the end, it hits this point where it's like, oh no, this is adults standing around talking about adolescence over the heads of the actual people that it's about. And it's fascinating you say that because that's actually a really good way to get into a character that I did not like, but came to love, which is Rika. Mm-hmm. Oh. Who initially, who, who I think kind of actually really embodies the ability to have a show that speaks to the teenage experience from a teenager. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is- I should say... I hated Rika at first, and I feel like that's a very harsh thing. And what I had to do was I really had to unpack why I didn't like her, and I think a lot of it was because I saw a lot of my own experience in her. Well, but and also, also she's rampantly fatphobic the first time she shows up. Yeah, yeah but there like, is that. But, yeah, but then, but then I got to thinking, and I was like, yeah, but a lot of teenage girls are fatphobic because teenage girls are told to hate their bodies, right? And I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, and not, not that it gives an excuse for fatphobia, like... No, but, but, but I but know it what does you mean. Give a, it does give a reason. And when I kind of looked at it from that angle, I was like, actually, Rika might be the best character on the show because Rika is a real life teenage girl. She's just 2D. Like, but I mean, Rika is not a nice girl. Like, at first, she is not nice. Um, the girl that she is trying to save, Chiemi, she inadvertently causes her, her death by starvation, which is horrible but like a real thing that happens and I guarantee you as a former high school teacher I had girls I had a girl pass out one day because she was eating natto three times a day that was her food that is not that is not enough to sustain a growing body and like as a proud fat person who yes I do like to eat food and I love my body 
I will oh, tell yeah. you, like, you got you. You have to love your body. And like Rika, you know, Rika inadvertently causes her death. And like Rika's not a nice girl, but Rika is also like a lot of teenage girls hurting. Yeah. And I mean, she's a junior idol. She had internalized all of that because that was her one route to success. And it's like this really horrible nightmare consequences of a, what most people would think of as a, a casually mean comment makes her start to think about these things and i feel like rika has a complete arc and her episode her episode about her and her mom is the best episode of the show it mm. made me sob that episode and like and i mean like i should say like for as much as any of us are ragging on the finale wonder egg priority is a very powerful show and its power is in these four girls is in rika and Nehru and the other two girls who we haven't talked about but like Rika's episodes are really good. They're really powerful. They feel genuine. They feel the most genuine out of any character in the story. Best girl. The crucial thing about Rika is that her episodes, she has she has a complete arc, like I said. So her episodes open wounds and then close them again, which I don't think anything else in the show does. That's a yeah. really good point. Yeah, because I was going to, because as I'm sure we'll get into, and we have kind of already touched on with Nehru, kind of the... The thing that drives me the most bonkers about this show is that it has so many beautiful moments and so many great ideas. And any of these four characters could potentially be the main character in a fully fleshed out story just about what's going on with them. And Rika, I think now that you've mentioned it, maybe is the one who gets the most closure and the most cohesive kind of arc where she deals with, she kind of is on a quest to redeem herself and deal with her own her own bullshit that she has, uh, you know, that has happened to her, but it's also she has put out into the world as well. And she has those moments of she's suffering with self-harm, but she manages to kind of come back from it. I would question if, I mean, she seems okay at the end, but I would kind of, I don't know. All the, as the, the moments where, like, the friend comes back to life, but then they vanish, and then, like, the, the bug girls come down and traumatize everyone all over again. I would question whether those signify closure. But aside from that, I feel like you're right. I feel like Rika is the one who does, you know, she starts in a really awful place as kind of an awful person, but she reckons with that quite head on. And it's very rewarding. I think what I like about Rika is that Rika's story, Rika's end, isn't that Rika is fixed. It's just that she's learning how to cope better. And actually, I'll give Wonder Egg priority credit. They don't really fix anyone. No one leaves this show like, okay, well, maybe I, they, but maybe that was parallel universe I, but like, no one leaves the show completely happy like they're going to grow into adults who still have to work at it. Like Rika's going to be a decade older and still having to work at that. And I actually really admire the show for portraying a more authentic look at like when you have trauma and you're living alongside mental illness, it doesn't just go away. It, even, even if you were quote unquote healed and cured, which I use scare quotes because I don't think that those are kind ways to look at people who live with mental illness, myself included, because it's not a problem like a broken shelf um like i'm not like i'm not an ikea item (laughs) kind of thing um but like i think it's actually really quite earnest that they show like yeah rika still has to work she's gonna have to work at this for the rest Mm -hmm. of her life probably but there is a way through 
And I'll mm-hmm. give the show credit for that. Mm-hmm. And both of the other two girls, um, like I, episode 12 is a hot fucking mess for a lot of reasons, but I think that there is something there in the fact that like there is a catharsis and a hopeful conclusion in that I, by protecting her parallel world self, is able to see how far she's come and forgive herself and let go of her survivor's guilt, essentially. She gets, she, she gets resilience, which, you mm-hmm. know, is a, is a term that is used a lot in in therapy and counseling and and her ability to now bounce back which i didn't have is actually really beautiful to witness it did make me cry yeah like the i almost i'm always like forget about episode 12 the if we're considering i the main character and her character growth kind of the main thread of the show then that episode where she protects her parallel self that's the climax that's the finale um yeah because it it i mean the thing that i kind of they're a bit they're contentious because they're a bit schlocky and you might ask like is it ethical to make a show like a monster of the week show about uh abusers but the thing that i have always uh, found fascinating about like the whole wonder killer aspect um and obviously why it appeals to i at the beginning is because it is a way of externalizing this very internal conflict it's a way of i like you can see why it calls to her so much she's like oh my god I have not been able to do anything. I couldn't save my friend. She's internalized the guilt. She's like, it's my fault she died, even though I had nothing to do with it and could have done anything. Uh, she's like, no, no, but if I if I fight these monsters with a sword and rescue these girls, then I will be a hero. Then I will be able to save my friend. And you kind of like, the series kind of unpacks that and kind of goes off the rails with it because then it brings in frill and it gets complicated we will get to that momentarily but, but I, I, bringing I that all sorry what'd you say uh, oh i was gonna say up until then it's really great and it's really great like, well, and like because yeah. like because like who, who doesn't want to be a te- what teenager i'm gonna you know what i'm actually gonna amend this what person who has suffered abuse especially physical abuse which leaves an invisible scar on you that you really never get to get rid of what person doesn't wish that they could defeat it Mm. and i'm not i'm not i am not and i don't mean defeat in and this is my personal opinion i don't mean defeat in that hokey way of i'm a survivor because i don't think that works for everybody Mm. i'll be candid it doesn't work for me it's never gonna work for me like what person doesn't wish they could beat the manifestation of you know the shadow of something that someone of a horrible thing that someone chose to do to them. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you're a teenager, golly, what life would be if you in your dreams got to defeat the manifestation of this horrible thing that was forced upon you. Right. And I think that's actually kind of the, the cool thing that I discovers is like, I can help other girls defeat this by being the hero. Yeah. Um, and like you said, I mean, it does kind of go off the rails, but when it, when it's on, it's on and it's really good. But what, well, what frustrates me is that um, at the same instant that that episode 12 is providing this very clear headed sense of closure, it fucks the entire series right off its head because at the 11th hour, it introduces the fact that Parallel Eyes Wonder Killer is about her fears of this person that he's not really like, which throws doubt on literally everything that has come before. Yeah, it does. It's poison for it's... the series thematically. Yeah. yeah and, I, mm. I, and I think we're going to get into that more when we talk about what the finale's overwhelming message is, which is that 
teenage girls who are suicidal or manipulative. Yeah, uh, I <laughs> but I don't want to linger we, on we, it. We got, we got to talk about Momoe though before we get into that because that's going to be a conversation. We, I, we don't have to linger too long on Momoe because fuck knows I've talked it to death on Twitter. Uh, Momoe <laughs> is my precious trans girl, and uh, I will protect her. I I think hers is. Because she has that moment of catharsis too, right? Where she she proudly accepts her gender. She rips open her shirt to reveal her flat chest and trans-colored sports bra because she's trans. Mm. Um, <laughs> and, you know, she defeats the transphobic, you know, she defeats the transphobic wonder killer, has this lovely moment with Kaoru who... I love him. Please protect him from the writing. Yeah. And, and then immediately <laughs> after that... It, we we do the the uh, frill and company reveal, and it's oh, so I, cruel. It's oh my so god! Cruel. Immediately, I forgot. Immediately after Momoe gets trauma, uh huh. Like, There's at least with Rika, she has like an episode or two to revel in having that moment with her, that breakthrough with her mom before she gets re-traumatized horribly because this show is yeah, vicious. I forgot during the recap, it shows like Momoe getting traumatized. And I forgot that her mother was like, here's some chicken, sweetie, for dinner. And Momoe couldn't eat it because her wonder pet was a crocodile. And because crocodiles share genetics with chickens, they do taste like chicken. Uh, And that shattered me all over again because I was like, oh, yeah, her reward for being happy in her gender was trauma. Yeah, and, and it comes it comes so directly after it that you almost can't read it any other way. It's I don't know if what they intended, but at this point intent kind of doesn't matter because I don't know what they intended about a lot of things, but they have said some things. It had it had the same vibe as when trans women on Twitter get told welcome to womanhood as if that's a kind thing to say (laughs) it had that exact same vibe and i'm calling out every single person listening who's ever told a trans woman that do not tell a trans woman that that is not the sweet thing you think it is it's highly insulting and what you're saying is welcome to being a lesser person in society rather than celebrating them living as who they are don't tell don't tell trans women that they they suffer through enough on a daily basis lord knows don't do that to them life being a trans person is shit trans women have it the worst it had that vibe of like welcome to womanhood momoe here's some trauma like here's the thing (laughs) potentially in a show that had uh more space and perhaps had kind of given given itself time to tease out these thematic threads instead of kind of uh, jumbling them all together as the the cat's cradle that it becomes at the end of the show, it could be potentially really interesting to be like, "Hello, welcome to girlhood. It's lovely for you, but it's terrible structurally, and that is represented by you know these insectile, uh, grim reaper figures who show up and like enforce the trauma of adolescence upon you. But those are representatives of a structure that we need to like." critique and combat and defeat as we like come together as friends and it's all that that could be really interesting um but i and I, in some ways i do feel like it kind of was what the show was going for but again it comes back to that issue of like the actual system of the eggs and the akas is not actually ever critiqued in the way that i think we were all expecting and hoping it to be which is certainly a choice <laughs> I do want to acknowledge the uh, the whole script versus visual direction tension because uh, people pointed out, I think, 
fairly. Um, you know, I think I stand firm in, in the opinion that Momoe is very clearly telegraphed as trans. She is transly trans, yeah. wearing a trans flag. But it is fair to note that it almost feels that you can make an argument that the script, that the boarding and direction is doing that in spite of the script almost, because those are all visual cues at the same time that you have the absolutely most hackneyed trauma checklist backstory for Kaoru imaginable. Like, Mm. it's not just that he, it's not just that he gets misgendered. It's not just corrective rape. It's also corrective rape and pregnancy. I, it, okay, this is such a weird tangent. Roll with me. When that happened, I flashed back to the television show. I believe it was an episode of Maury, which is for listeners who aren't Americans, is trashy daytime TV. Is that the like you are the father? That one? Yes, yep, that's it. <laughs> oh no, that I'm so sorry that that's what that's known for. But yes, <laughs> there was. I want to say it was Maury. It might have been Oprah. There was an episode of American daytime TV when I was younger, and I'm just going to say it directly morning it is a very transphobic thing they did of this man got pregnant and that was the segment and as a child I didn't understand what trans was I didn't understand that transgender was something anyone could be I you know I lived under the understanding of a binary and I but I'll never forget this episode was talking about like wow a man who got pregnant and it never mentioned that like you know trans men can get pregnant and but they're still men and that's what it feels like wonder egg could have done was like oh this man forced himself on a male student who he was who he was trying to force to fit into a certain gender even though like kaoru's best boy and kaoru best boy is, kaoru is a boy um we here at anime feminist are firmly in that corner <laughs> but instead it was like oh this boy who was once insert i don't know if they ever dead named Kaoru. god if they did they did not but there is the uncomfortable kind of lingering issue that early on they establish like only girls can wind up in the wonder egg space and it's like a which which again yeah yeah, would be an interesting thing to unpack of just like hey here's this well i was gonna say here's this magic system but as we know it's not magic it's sci-fi um Here's this system, yeah, that, that supposedly has these gendered rules that raise these questions of like, well, okay, like this is another cruel system that right. obviously operates on like a so-called biological binary. Hey, if we had more space, that would be a really interesting thing to explore more deeply. Be like, it affirms some people, but it is also, yeah, again, structurally terrible because it has it holds girlhood registered trademark as a certain set of traits and if you don't live up to those you kind of fall through the cracks and And yeah yeah and i think that's why it made me think of that that very trashy episode of daytime tv was because like the whole i remember that episode centering on like the mystery and i'm putting mystery in scare quotes because it was an incredibly transphobic thing even at that time Mm -hmm. the mystery of like ooh, this man can get pregnant Uh, and centering it as and I cannot remember the gentleman's name, but centering it as if like, this is some weird freakish to use a word that I believe was used in the show, you know, incident. And it's the same treatment as what Kauru is subjected to. Like, we don't need to see that Kauru 
was correctively raped to understand the trauma that he went through. We don't need to know. And it feels, it feels particularly cruel because Kaoru is one of two trans characters that we see him being raped and equated to being female when he's not. I don't know. I don't know how to unpack that. Once again, I have a lot of big feelings, but I think what I'm trying to get at is like it, I don't, I think, I don't know. I just don't know if they handled it right. I don't know if they did. I don't like that they did kind of parallel Kaoru as needing to be, as being secretly female. And that's how he was able to access the egg world. I don't like that show. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I, I feel a little uncomfortable insofar as like, is this just because it's the issue that hits closest to home for me? Because Wonder Egg from day one basically has always been pretty blunt about just mining trauma for content you know from yeah. from that shot of koito's feet in the garden onward but there is something about this one that felt uniquely cruel and i think maybe maybe yeah. it's partly personal maybe and i think but i think following momoe's triumph to literally less than two minutes later her it's... horrible scarring trauma that she never begins to recover from yeah. it it, and, and I suppose in a roundabout way that feeds into the the question of like this show's view on trauma and teenage girls, especially when it comes to suicide and suicidality, which I, I guess I'm just going to toss it out here. I'm going to say trigger warning that like this is a necessary thing you have to talk about with the show is suicide. And I mean, we're, we've already gone deep into the content warning pool. I'm just going to uh, put a general warning on the post yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> this show yeah. has an absolute and, laundry list of content warnings. And and like and like I suppose I want to say there's something interesting about Wonder Egg priority being made during the pandemic because and I and I'm I'm pulling these from different articles. I did a I've done a little bit of research on this and you know it was something I was aware of as a teacher. The suicide rate in Japan has by and large dropped. It is a I would say to some degree is a racialized trope against japan that like they're just the most suicidal because i hate to tell you you know who sits behind japan it's the united states Mm -hmm. because capitalism is a lotus eater that will destroy all of us um but that said the thing one one troubling thing that has happened is that suicide suicide attempts and completed suicides amongst teenage girls have gone up and i can't help but inexplicably link that not only to the pandemic, but with what is happening in Wonder Egg Priority. Of course, I'm not saying that the show caused it, but that, you know, by nature of having teenage girls, it is hard not to think about, you know, the real world situation of like 851 teenage girls attempted suicide last year. And a lot of those, unfortunately, were completed death by suicide. Now, a lot of that is social tension a lot of that is it is difficult to be a teenage girl a lot of that is severe depression and a lot of g7 countries america included do not deal well with mental health but it's fascinating in a show like wonder at priority that they work so hard with the messiness of suicide only to land on <laughs> i guess like the notion that the character suicide who has really kickstarted these events was used as leverage against him. Yeah, so let's talk about Koito. Yeah, let's just do it. I'm, look, okay, so to use the, like, official analytical language, uh, this gave me the shits. 
because <laughs> the show begins before anything else. I, okay, even if the show goes off the rails, I maintain that that premiere, that first episode, is quite spectacular. You can almost watch it like as a contained short film, except that it, you know, ha- ends on a cliffhanger and goes into other stuff. But it grabbed me so hard because it, uh, it, it, it spoke to like some deep part of me where I. Fortunately, I I almost lost someone to suicide when I was younger. They're all right now. Um, But it was a very harrowing experience. And I really connected with I in that first episode. And I kind of knew in my bones that, like, if this premise were presented to me at that age, if someone came up and said, hey, you can fix this. You can cure depression and prevent suicide and reverse suicide if you fight some monsters. I would have been like, yes, sign me up. Where's my sword? And and it's just like that idea too of like I not really knowing what happened but still feeling guilty of I having that complicated relationship with Koto where she was she wished she had been less standoffish and she wished that she had done more something that's always more obvious in retrospect and so having that thematic thread carrying her through and being her motivation was really powerful. And then to get to the end and we the the solution to the mystery. Well, first up. We get the gut punch that, like, Koto doesn't remember her anymore, which, yeah. again, if it had given it more space, would have been really interesting. It could have been like, hey, this is the other side of this kind of Faustian bargain you've made. You can get them back, but they're not going to be how you remember them, and they're not going to say thank you to you. That would be really interesting right. because it would play with, like, you know, the survivor's guilt and the being a hero and all that. Um, but it doesn't. So that was the first annoying thing. And then the absolute. I think it's poisoned the show for me because the absolute ending to that is this little hand wave, a voiceover from, I think it's the teacher, I think it's Sawaki, but I don't actually know. It's I think some it, guy. I think it is Sawaki. Yeah. yeah. Because it, it's flashing back to this is what he told her at the art gallery. Yeah. Right. Okay. I didn't even, I didn't, I was too, I was sitting red at this stage. Cause yeah, the, the solution to this great emotional mystery that has been his entire motivation throughout the show from minute one is it was her fault. She was the one who came on to me. She was a troublemaker and she killed herself by accident during an attention-seeking stunt. And that's the Not just... No, 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 no. Not just an attention-seeking stunt. She fell off of the roof while she was on the... uh, While she was uh, threatening to jump and loudly accusing Sawaki of having raped her. And and y'all, y'all, I... I gotta come untethered for a moment. I gotta let loose. I find it particularly disgusting that the show took this stance in a country where teenage girls are bargained for as sex objects, as companions, as toys, as pornography, as characters in manga. I found it so disgusting that Koito is just a temptress. She's just accusing a good man who, you know, he has family. He's got a niece. He's a good teacher. You don't want to ruin his life. She's accusing a good man Mm. of doing a rape. And accusations can ruin a man's life, don't you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, I'm going to say like this, I will tell you as a teacher, I heard stories of like, there was a school in my city that a man was found to have been recording fifth and sixth graders in the bathroom. You read into that. And he lost his job temporarily. Oh, only temporarily? I don't think, I don't think, yeah, I don't think he's, I don't think he can maybe teach in that city anymore. 
he did not lose his license. Oh, oh my God. And, 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 and I found it, and I mean, like, look, America has issues with, with the same thing too. Don't you dare listen to this podcast and think your country doesn't at all. But I find it particularly egregious in a country that, in, in, in Japan where this topic is not handled at all in a responsible way to the victim, to the children who are hurt, that the show went with Koito's a temptress and yo, grown man can't help it if a young pretty thing comes on to them, but it's not his fault because he didn't do the bad thing. It is disgusting. And it's gonna it's gonna taint the show. It's gonna taint the show forever. It is. This is its legacy. And it's like as a writing decision too, it pisses me off because up until it's and again because it's that question of like who is the audience and who is the narrative voice because up until a certain point it really does feel like the show is about giving a voice and giving agency to the girls the ones the young people who are systematically silenced and then you get these not one but two instances possibly more but I'm thinking of Koito and I'm thinking of Frill two instances where these adult male characters in positions of power. Um, both, you know, because they're adult men and because, you know, they're like their teachers and their professors, whatever, they are the ones who suddenly get the voice in the story and they narrate the mov- the motivations of a teenage girl and they explain them to us. And we're meant to take that as narrative truth, I think. There's no, like, again, if we had had more time, if they had thought about it, if they had brought it up earlier and more deliberately, there could have been a question of like, okay, well... It- are is Soaki telling the truth? What's Koito's side of the story? But they don't give it time. And likewise, they don't give Frill a voice in the narrative. So we just kind of need to take it as face value. Everything that Aka says that she's like, that this is all Frill's fault, that Frill is why girls kill themselves. Actually, it's a robot. It's fine. And Frill is such a fascinating character because like, never do Aka and Uraaka, you know, recognize the fact that they have abused this AI who has gained sentience and sapience like they abuse her into the cycle of hurt people hurt people Mm. whether or not they want to admit it like they created frill in the image of like the perfect girl yeah yeah i mean like they they did a god when he created the earth kind of story right (laughs) like they created her in the image of a perfect 14 year old girl which we don't have time to unpack. About the <laughs> no. but... And neither does the show. The show does not give itself a time to unpack that. <laughs> yeah, but like they gave her humanity and they're mad. They're mad when like after her being given humanity, which must be incredibly overwhelming for an AI that was born yesterday. <laughs> they are mad that after doing that and after it's it's like hinted at that, that when they take her down to the punishment coffin, that like that's not the first time they've abused her. It, yeah, it's heavily it like, is because she says she says not again please don't put me in here it's dark and i'm scared yeah this is not the first time that she's been put in the punishment freezer um and i i'm but like they gave her humanity and now they're mad when after mistreating her she a teenage girl doesn't understand how to cope with those feelings and lashes out in the only way she can because she's scared and it's again, and, it's and, about it's the like, framing. It's about the framing. It's like, hey, that sure sounds like something a villain would do, but we don't get Frill's side of the story, and we don't get that. We don't get the Cube moment where, or you know, the the you know the the Akiyotori moment where the narrative turns around and says, hey, that's not good. Let's have our protagonist like actively critique this, realize this is wrong, and then fight against it. It doesn't happen. 
Because, like, real talk, if this had been, like, a double core, you know who the villains would have been? Would have been Akka and Uraaka. Because that's who the villains are really in my head. Like, none of the events of the show would have happened if, I don't know, they hadn't abused their surrogate daughter and mistreated her and created a situation where Frill wasn't able to cope with her humanity. Like, none of this would have happened if they hadn't have been horrible. Yeah, and, and, then, and then they make the eggs as well, so... Yeah, and they do it to other girls. <laughs> it's horrible. And the real bastard of a stink- sticking point here is that the show does know that they did a bad thing by locking Frill in the box. And I think people latch on to that. It's like, oh, they're unreliable narrators. God, if I hear the word unreliable narrator one more time, I'm going to Keep smack my brain to Mars. something. Not a living being. <laughs> but so, and, and I mean, I think it does, the show does want us to know that that moment, they did a bad thing. Right. I, I think we can say that given the framing and the sadness of it all. But the the bigger thing is that yeah they they did a bad thing and they messed mm. up but also aren't God, they sad I'm so aren't these sad men I'm so tired of men <laughs> which is like none of this is to say that like men or even male characters are like inherently awful and untrustworthy no. it's just it's about again it's like it's framing it's the framing and it's again that question of like are you trying to speak to teenage girls and lift them up onto a, a platform where they can see themselves as a protagonist or are you just like using them as a funky narrative device to explore some ideas you think are cool and i really feel like it's a ladder with the way that the like the dynamic shifts so much that i is not like discovering things and solving the mysteries at the end she is standing there listening to adult male characters with systemic power telling her their version of the truth and the writing has her go oh okay and take it as face value and so we are then meant to take it as face value i feel because i has been our window into the world this whole time she's our first main character and like once again it is miraculous that that's the choice that was made because like real life Japanese society is really struggling with the, I mean like every let's make it clear all of the countries in the G7 we all have some ghosts and they are rattling the doors they are shaking the uh-huh. trees and they're coming back to haunt us because we refuse to deal with the way that we treat teenage girls who are my personal opinion some of the most victimized people on this planet we refuse to deal with it. But it's weird to me that that was the choice that they went with. Given Japan's current struggles with, like, sexual assault in adult men, that they went with, like, the, you know, it's okay to listen to a grown man who, like, did horrible stuff opinion because <laughs> I guess he's got good advice for these young, vulnerable children. I don't know. I not... And it's not all it's not all men. It's not because there are a lot of men out there that are abused and a lot of I think there is something to be said about hurt people hurt people. There are a lot of abused men who reenact that abuse because they were not given the ability to get healing. And that's tragic. But this is not that. And it'll be like Stars Align is right over there if you want to look at a, a grounded modern day show about how yeah, society like hurts young boys. That's and that show is good. It's satisfying yeah, like, even though it's only like, half a show. Like I said, I think in a double core, Akka and Uraaka would have gotten a reckoning. Unfortunately, that's not what's gonna happen, and I don't foresee Wonder Egg Priority getting a second season, at least not while it's still relevant. 
Here's the thing. Yeah. I don't know that they would because the show gets all the way up to its moment of truth where I has to, I is searching for the truth and realizing that the maybe things are not as they seem with the, the wonder egg system. And so it comes to the make it or break it moment where it has to say, this system is bad and who can we hold accountable for that? And it looks to its male characters, the Akas and Sawaki, and it says, well, Look, men have done bad things in power, but really, I want you to see their humanity. Because Sawaki, in, in episode 12, as the Wonder Killer talks about his frustrations and his angers and how he spends more time on his art, basically, than than taking care of students. Which is a would be a valid character arc, I think, in a different show. Yeah, he picks up Sawaki's that picture a of adult creep. eye that he painted. Y'all, I saw that again, and my soul, my soul has not yet returned to my body. I don't know what's inhabiting me right now to give this podcast, but it ain't Mercedes, because my soul is in another plane of existence still. <laughs> yeah, like, the handling of Sawaki is really frustrating to me, because, again, with that build-up and with that focus on Koito, I really thought it was kind of like, you know, here is this central thematic thing. I thought that what he represented was like, hey, in this dream world, you know, abusive people look like monsters. But in the real world, he's just a guy. He might just be nice. He seems nice. But what if, you know, it's that the tension was from that. And then it was like, oh, no, it's fine. He's fine. Well, and, and, and isn't the monstrosity in that, like, in the real world, the people who abuse look like everyday normal people. Exactly. They, they are. Go, They're human they, beings. They don't, and that's the... they, don't go, they don't go around in capes, like, rubbing their hands together, like, I'm going to commit abuse. Like, if only they did so we knew and could avoid them and could... And I, I don't, you know, and I'm maybe this is me speaking from the heart from personal my own personal experiences if only we could see the people who would abuse us and avoid them if only we could unfortunately yeah. abusers look like you and i i hate it yeah because one of the things that grinds my gears is like when people are like oh well they didn't look like an abuser yeah they did because abusers look like everyday people that's the horror that's the nightmare they look like so they yeah. look like Sawaki. they look like aka and Ura well okay maybe they don't look like aka and Uraka who <laughs> gave up their bodies so they <laughs> cracked them like eggs and they took the yolk only but like <laughs> that's a visceral mention i mean but, but like you know i mean like they look like everyday people that's the nightmare that's the wonder killer that we all face right yeah and that's really what i thought the show was going for but then it, it then it, and again frill what's going on with frill nothing in any of my powers could have predicted frill like we were all trying to kind of speculate about what the finale and like the ending arc would involve and they were like and also here's a robot who's evil and causes suicide and i think all of us collectively were like excuse me she what? <laughs> I really don't like that like the third to last episode is just us watching this AI robot get abused and like that's supposed to be a plot point. I don't like that. And it's again it, it again it's drives and bananas because Frill's story is another example of like one small aspect of the show that could be a show in its own right. Like either the sort yeah. of it's like a Frankenstein story of like Frill getting vengeance and that's really cool. Or even like even as a premise of a show, here's me pitching an anime right now. Okay, there's some sort of AI in the system that is hacking into people's brains and giving them suicide ideation. And we are sending in some team girls to fight it. But plot twist, the people who created the system also created the evil AI. What will we do? That could be interesting. Oh, no. oh, that no, could be Al really Alex. cool. Alex, Alex, you just spoiled people on psychopaths. Oh, that's not what, 
<laughs> you just spoiled people. Well, it, How is she getting into well, people's brains? It, there isn't even sci-fi infrastructure in this world. In a weird way, serial experiments, Lane. That's right, listeners. I'm cool. <laughs> it made me think of serial experiments, Lane. Which, like, if they had kind of gone a route like that, where the girls were actually in the wire, <laughs> like if they had gone a route where, like, there was actually a reason. Honestly, they could have just said this was all a dream, and I would have been more okay. But like, if they had gone, if they had. If they had gone some yeah. way like that and then like had them like ascend and like maybe hug Frill, because I think Frill just really needs a good adult. Um and boundaries, which Akun or Aka, I guess, clearly forgot to code that in to give her like <laughs> some autonomy. <laughs> but like <laughs> Well, you know, you know, women—they're just so naturally like impulsive. I uterus. I rewatched drives the women crazy. <laughs> I'm just thinking of all those like Victorian like newspaper things, like women can't ride trains because their wombs will fly backwards out of them. Yeah. Um, but I rewatched the Frill episode to get some screen caps, <laughs> and I just—I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is this trying to say to me? Because again, it's such an interesting like potentially really feminist narrative of like the hubris of trying to create and then control the so-called perfect girl but it's not from frill's perspective you, you know what it's trying to say to you it's trying to advertise lip gloss because every time Frill <laughs> does that let me see let me see if i can replicate it the no. noise it just oh god Oh God! Yes, the most Why? the most uh, nicely animated lips in all of anime for some goddamn reason. <laughs> and you want to know the last shit sun like cherry on top of the Sunday is the fact that knowing how the things end with Sawaki, it makes Rika's dialogue in earlier episodes really cool because they put in Rika's mouth all of the speculation about how Sawaki's an abuser and all the men in this world suck and it's I guess supposed to make her look stupid and once again I know I opened up my DMs and I know some of y'all are about to come for me for this if you hate listen to chatty AF I guess it makes me think of what a lot of um especially anime Twitter and Reddit anime reddit think about women and i'm not saying all there's a very specific group i'm talking about it makes me think a lot of what they think about women and girls who are a little too feminist and maybe a little too opinionated and stick politics into everything what it makes rika sound like is this trope that like she's sticking politics into it and she's a misogynist and she's just a man hater when like y'all rika opened up her third eye and saw the truth <laughs> rika saw the truth about sawaki which yeah. is that he's an abusive teacher who hides under the guise of being traditionally good looking and you know it's never outright rape is never said in this series it is it is talked around but i don't think the word rape is actually ever used but like he either sexually assaulted koito or raped her and that led to her completing her suicide and rika saw that parallel universe and she saw the universe where we're in that that happened and said said it with her chest <laughs> And then they just retconned it, and now Rika looks like what a lot of people, what a lot of, and I'm speaking specifically about cis men, in those kind of insular groups will say about women, that she's mm -hmm. a misogynist, and she's a liar, and she's deceiving, and she's a bad woman. 
and she's doing it for attention and all of the dreadful things that also come with it and also end up applying to Koito, which just uh, yeah it's, it's it's and and i suppose i suppose that leads us to wonder is this series worth it yeah can the show possibly be recommended knowing how poisonous those last couple episodes are to the overall themes yes and no because I think I think what Wonder Egg Priority is trying to do, I think the frankness of the conversation is trying to have in a time where teenage girls, I mean, teenage, let's be real. Teenage girls have always not wanted things to happen to them. That's been, that's just a part of history. Like the thought that women have always been, were submissive up until I guess first wave feminism is a lie. It's a colonial lie. Teenage girls have always been vulnerable, but they have always wanted autonomy and they should have autonomy. And I think the fact that Wonder Egg is trying to address that in the messiness of trauma, I really respect because trauma is not a, you know, trauma is not having a PTSD nightmare only. It is a complex amount of things. Sometimes it's self-harm. Sometimes it's laughing until you cry. It's a spectrum and I actually really appreciate that WEG is trying to address that but I think what ultimately puts me towards no is like how am I going to recommend a show that essentially does rape apology and says well actually teenage girls are the problem <laughs> how am I going to recommend that and still and still stick to my ideals I don't know because there's a lot of really good stuff but I don't I don't I don't know I don't know I don't yeah for me, I, I think at the end of the day, even with the complete shit stain of a finale, I yeah. am glad that I watched this show. But I don't think I would, because I I really, there were parts of it that I found so valuable. Episodes that are so good, and yes, I really boy. love these girls, and my sweet boy Kaoru. But I, I, I don't think I could, in good conscience, recommend it to somebody to just watch alone because you know when we all watched it as it was airing we kind of had that group environment where we were all talking it out together and how can i come say to somebody who's coming afterwards here's a bucket full of trauma and maybe a tenth of it is going to be resolved in a way that feels satisfyingly cathartic it was hard like this was not an easy watch for me and like i you know some things some things and i'm not i'm not speaking to anyone Uh, please don't take this as me dissing anyone you know, some triggers that I thought were important to include in my review were edited out. Um, you know, I, I pretty much every week there was a mm. content warning for suicidality and suicide. Um, when rape was applicable, when sexual assault was applicable, parental abuse applicable. But, you know, like this show comes with a lot of triggers. This show is if you are a 20 something or 30 something and you are still living with trauma that you're working through, this show is really hard. Show is really hard. Um, It might be one of the hardest anime I've sat through. Um, Definitely one of the hardest I've sat through and been paid to review (laughs) because it's, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. And I'm kind of with you, Bri. I don't know if I could recommend this knowing it could hurt somebody. Yeah. I mean, honestly, again, like I said, the premiere, I, I think will always hold a special place in my heart. It really made such an impression on me. And I feel like I would show people that and be like, hey, here is this. It's really cool. 
weird how this was a cool, cool year OVA and they never made any more episodes. Um, that, I mean, no, that feels facetious. Like, it's it's definitely a complicated one. I guess I'll see... I don't know. I, I could I would say, you know, hey, watch the first five or so episodes. Just try it out. Enjoy the art of it. Enjoy what it's trying to do. But know that it doesn't get there in the end. All the way to seven? Oh, yeah, no, that's true. That's fair. That's the Rika I, I'd episode. go all the way to seven because that's the Rika that's the Rika episode. Yeah. Hot take. I would say just don't watch episode 13. Leave it at episode 12. Let that be how it ends because I think that is a tighter story. And it's a story that maintains the fact that, like, abuse is bad, point blank. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. And the abuse of teenage girls is bad, but I, I don't, don't watch the finale. Don't. It's half recap anyway. You already know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know what, I, yeah, it was particularly funny because, like, I'm sure a lot of people did, um like, binge the show, like, to catch back up. And then it gave them 20 minutes of recap. Like, I'm sure so many people were like, no, I... Hey, hey, I've already been here. <laughs> I've just walked through all of this. <laughs> and I mean, like, for, for all of my fence sitting, like, I'm about to rewatch it. Maybe not, maybe not during a pandemic. <laughs> Who knows? It's a wild time. But I kind of want to rewatch it to see what they're going to do with the dub and how they, the choices that they're making and how they're narratively constructing the story in the dub. And maybe, maybe that's a softer way to watch it. Um, I, I imagine that actually it's probably just as impactful in, in a lot of good and bad ways in the dub. Um, I I just, I don't know. I think that's probably where I'm going to sit with Weg. I don't know. I think if you're going to watch it, think if you're going to watch it, watch it with a support group. Don't binge it. Don't, I, I will say don't binge this. Don't, because you're going to hurt yourself. Don't, don't binge this. I mm. think maybe, yeah, maybe, I mean, maybe a, Maybe appropriately enough for a show that was in many ways so messy, the answer that we come to is, I don't know. <laughs> you know, in the same way that the show presents a lot of issues where the answer is, I don't know. You can't fix it. The answer to how do we make the show better is, I don't know. <laughs> Actually, at the same time... That's also valid. You know, <laughs> at the same time, my answer might be, fuck this show. Yeah. You know, I... I think y'all I, I go back and forth. To be real charitable to anime. I look. I sat through Nagataro, <laughs> <laughs> which, which I mean, I have very different feelings now about that show. Actually, I, I just like to, I like to joke about it, you know. But like, I, I like to be charitable to shows. But it's not that I'm not being charitable to Weg. It's just that I don't, I don't know, you know. Mm. I, I don't know. And. God, maybe that's where we have to wrap up <laughs> on I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, we're a little, I mean, we have the technical issues, but we're we're a little bit over. And actually, after we wrap up, I'm going to just like, I think looking at our discussion as a whole, I'm going to just make some audio content warnings that, uh, Peter, you can tack on to, at, to the beginning because, you know, we do post this on the main page and people might not look at the content warnings. And this is rough. Um, but yeah, so uh, that was Weg. Uh, here you go. Here's the podcast we promised you. I'm so angry, but the this was a fun discussion. Slap. <laughs> I cry. I cry. I cry. Every I'm gonna time repost the edit the I did of the opening. The, it's a do-it-yourself opening. So like all four voice actors are singing, and when their voices rise together and join together, and you realize that I Oto is not alone on the floor. Cry you, you y'all remember that Hillary Duff song? Let the rain fall oh. down. That is me 
<laughs> on the ground, but make it the wag opening. <laughs> mm-hmm. That slaps. Watch that. Oh, Watch feelings. that on YouTube. Watch it right now. Oh, just that. And actually, the opening is real perky and, and nice, and I like it. Yeah. Uh, so that was the Wonder Egg postmortem. We did our best with only an hour of time. I think, I think God knows we could talk about this for an hour I'm more. We're all, uh, I think Alex is. I, I have already written a postmortem that may or may not be out by the time this podcast goes up. I'm. I know. I know. I'm supposed to be writing about Super Cub, but I'm yep. about to draft something tonight. Do that, and then like, and then palette cleanse with Super Cub. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Write some shit about Nehru. I want to read the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much for listening, Anna Fam. If you liked what you heard, you can find more of us in your ears and in front of your eyeballs at AnimeFeminist.com. If you really liked what you heard, why not consider giving us a dollar at Patreon.com slash AnimeFeminist. Every little contribution really does help us to continue paying our contributors and continuing to bring new and exciting content on the page and in your earbuds and for five dollars a month you can get access to our patrons only discord which is full of pretty good chill people it's a nice space that we uh, try to cultivate for folks to have safe discussions where they can talk about you know their love of and issues with anime and manga you can also find us on social media. We are on Tumblr at Anime Feminist, and we are on Twitter at Anime Feminist. Thank you so much, Anafam. And remember, and remember, apparently, you can't make an anime without cracking a few actual oh human God. lives. Oh my God, you can. You got to sit down, but that's where I'm at. How does crack an egg?